Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, in case you hadn't been paying attention, next week is the Super Bowl. And I'm wondering, do you have a favorite Super Bowl commercial of all time? I know they have gotten you know, a little less exciting over the years, and most all of them will be leaked in the next week, and so there won't really be anything new. But there really has been some amazing ones over time. One of my favorites is Terry Tate, office linebacker. You know, the one where there's just somebody in their office innocently making copies at the copy machine, and then out of nowhere comes Terry Tate, bam, tackles them right there in the middle of the office. And I guess I still laugh out loud every time I see it. So the last couple of years, Pringles, the chip company, has had an ad campaign that they've called Get Stuck In. And the idea of the campaign is that you know, you have this long can for Pringles and there's really only one left and so the person reaches down inside to the bottom of the can and they get their hands stuck, right? Actually, I've got a picture of some of the people over the last couple of years. They started a couple years ago with this, the, really the life story of this man who originally gets his hand stuck and they show him getting married and it's still stuck. They show him have kids later. And they, you know, his whole life story. Last year, they were talking about how it happens to the best of us, even surgeons. You can appreciate in the bottom left there, the surgical glove on the end of the Pringles can. Safety <laughs> is important here, right? And the bowler, and even Megan Trainer getting her hand stuck. Now, obviously, this whole ad campaign is a ridiculous concept, isn't it? But I want to tell you this morning, for us, it makes a very vivid visual point. Sometimes you have to let go to move forward. Sometimes you have to let go to move into God's intended future. That's what we're going to be talking about today, this next message in our sermon series that we're calling Certain in the Uncertainty, the Nature of Faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This whole series is an exploration of faith where we're reminded that faith is the thing that really unlocks for us some sort of certainty in a world that is uncertain and lives that at times feel like they're shaking or even falling apart. We're learning about life and faith through part of the life of a man named Abraham. You find his story in the book of Genesis. We're zeroing in particularly in this series on chapters 18 through 22. So you can go back and hear previous messages in this series if you're interested on our YouTube channel, PCTRNJ. But this morning, we're looking at how do we let go? Because sometimes we need to let go to move into God's future. And so let's jump into Genesis chapter 21. If you'd like, you can follow along on the screen, but let's listen for God's word speaking to us this morning. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. 
When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, as we seek to hear from you this morning, I pray that you would take the words of my mouth, the thoughts and the meditations of all of our hearts. Make them pleasing in your sight. May what we hold on to and remember today be only what you would have for us, that you may increase our faith. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So this passage starts out with God doing what he had promised to do. In the first week of this series, we saw God had promised Abraham and Sarah that he was going to give them a son. We reflected that week on how God's promises are sure and certain when everything else seems uncertain. Well, our passage today opens with basically God saying, see, I told you so. I I promised it was going to happen, and here it is, it's happened. And it didn't just happen, it happened exactly how I told you it would happen. And it was miraculous. You know, Abraham was 100 years old, we're told. You know, you think you're tired trying to keep up with kids at whatever age you are now. I mean, imagine 100. It was no problem for Sarah, because she was young, though. She was 90. (laughs) And the name Isaac, it means he laughs, right? We can't help but to laugh at the situation. The whole story is filled with laughter, isn't it? Sarah laughed when she received the promise in the first place because it seemed so ridiculous and impossible. Well, now the promise has been kept, her longing has been fulfilled, and she's overflowing with joy, and with that joy comes laughter. And she says, everybody's going to laugh with me because this is so incredible. Who would have thought it would be possible for me? So here we are in chapter 21, promised kept, Longing fulfilled, everything is right, isn't it? Well, not, not quite. There's just a little bit more. And isn't it, isn't it the way it happens sometimes in our lives? We think things are just right. We get into that season where everything seems to be good. But God has even more for us. God has more he wants to give to us, more he wants to do in us, more he wants to do through us. He has a greater plan, a greater purpose, and a greater promise. But we can get stuck holding on to what we already have. 
that when Isaac was weaned, so he was maybe three or four years old or so, Abraham threw a huge party. And they invited everybody, and there was singing, and there was dancing, and there was laughing. It was beautiful. And then there's Ishmael. Well, this is Abraham's other son. He doesn't even get named in the story we read today. It's the slave woman's son. But it's Ishmael. This is Abraham's firstborn, his first son. It's the son that came about because Sarah had a great idea, or at least she thought so. Right? She couldn't have a son at the time, and so she thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my slave to my husband, and she'll have a son, and then that son will be my son. Great plan. And so here's Ishmael, 16, maybe 17 years old, and he's laughing too. <laughs> but unlike everyone else who is laughing with Sarah, he's laughing at. We're told he's mocking. He's laughing at Isaac. He's laughing at Sarah. He's laughing at the miracle that God has done. And Sarah, in maybe her insecurity, her anger, her frustration, tells Abraham, get rid of him. He's got to go. He will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. And so she despises the plan. It's amazing how quickly she forgot that this was her idea in the first place, right? This was her plan. You ever have a plan that worked out exactly the way you wanted and then you regretted it? Because we were so sure at the time, this is going to be it. This is going to be great. And then you get it and it's like, oh man, that's not everything it was cracked up to be. Maybe it's because it was my way and not God's way. It was not his promise fulfilled. It was my plan executed. But as a real surprise to us in the story, God responds to Sarah's request by saying, you know what, Abraham, she's right. He's got to go. And we're like, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. How could God do that? Well, if we kept reading beyond what we finished with today, you'd have, we'd have to read a good chunk more of the story. What we would find out is that God takes incredible care of Ishmael and Hagar, that, that he sees them he provides for them. In what we read today, he had promised Abraham that he'd make Ishmael into a great nation. And so God had plans and purposes for Ishmael as well. But he knew, he knew that to, to really bring about the fullness of the promise he had made to Abraham, that Ishmael had to go. Because what happened was the rivalry that began in the story we read today, this rivalry between Ishmael and Isaac was only going to grow. And Abraham, as the father of both of them, would be stuck in the middle. We saw it in today's story. He has distress. He's feeling torn between the loyalties to his two sons. And that was only going to keep growing within him. Like, he probably would have felt the, the pressure uh, of the cultural expectations of his family heritage to make sure that he provided the, the inheritance and the blessing and the promise that he gave all of that to his eldest son because that would have been the norm. Yet it was the younger son, it was Isaac, that was the son of God's promise. It was the son that God had promised. It was the one God had chosen to receive the blessing of the family. And it was through Isaac that God was going to ultimately bless all of the nations and the families on the earth. See, God had a greater purpose, a bigger promise through Isaac that he was going to keep. 
And he knew that the rivalry was going to potentially threaten his promise. And so Abraham had to literally let his older son go. He had to let go of the son of his plan, the son of his doubt, the son of his grasping for control and certainty to receive the son of God's promise. The son of God's blessing, the son of God's future, the son, yes, even of some of God's uncertainty. Because he was inviting Abraham into a place of, of uncertainty for him. Because he had to let go of something that he cared about deeply to receive the something greater that God wanted to give him. And that may be your story. It may be our story right now. Maybe where you're living. It may seem like the blessings of God are overflowing and just raining down on your life. You may be in a place of confidence, of comfort, of security, of provision. You may be in a place of joy and laughter and dancing. And God may be saying, yes, that's good, but will you let it go? For the greater future I want to give? For the greater thing that I want to do? But we don't let go easily, do we? We don't even let go easily when what we have isn't very good. You know, last week we talked about the reality that we have habits that we keep going back to that aren't working for us, and yet we keep going to them. We keep returning to them. And God's inviting us to let go of the habits so that he can bring us something new. And, and sometimes we hold on to our past because, it, because it's full of shame and regret. There's this thing in us that we, we just keep wallowing in our regrets. We keep wallowing in our shame rather than embrace the truth that God wants to give us freedom. But we have this sense that I can't let go of my past because I'm not really worthy of letting go of it. I, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know the, who, where I've been, who I've been with. You don't understand. And to get rid of and let go of this guilt and shame, that, that would be wrong. I don't deserve that. And so we hold on to it. And we forget that this is why the, the son of the promise came. And not the son Isaac, but the son that would come through the son of the promise. Because so many years later, there would be another promised son, Jesus, who was promised, who would come in a miraculous way. And he would come to take our guilt, to take our shame, so that we could be free. See, that's what... Pastor David was preaching about a couple weeks ago as he was reminding us that it's not about your righteousness. It's not about my perfection. That's not what makes us acceptable to God and worthy of his love. It's about Jesus's righteousness. It's about his perfection. It's about his righteousness given so that we could be acceptable and loved by God. See, that was the blessing of all the nations on earth. That was the bigger thing that God wanted to do. And yet we hold on. You know, our, my problem is that I still keep holding on somewhere inside of me that it is based on my righteousness or not. How arrogant of me, honestly. How arrogant of me to hold on to this belief that my guilt and my shame is of greater worth and value than the life and the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. Sometimes we hold on to our shame and our guilt. Sometimes we, we hold on to our past because our past is really holding on to us. And this is true when we've been through trauma. 
We've been through pain. We've been through heartache. Those things keep holding on to us. The wounds don't seem to actually close. The fear continues to hold us captive. And so to move into something new seems almost impossible. To let go of that seems impossible because it's holding on to us. But God wants to lead us out of that too. And I, and I don't want to pretend that it, it's easy and that it'll be like, oh, you just decide to let it go. There's, there's going to be work involved. And you might need someone to help you navigate that work, somebody who has skills to help you navigate the trauma. But I believe in the, in the testimony of Scripture and history is that God wants to heal that part of you as well. He wants to heal the wounds that don't seem like they're going to close. He wants to lead you so that you can courageously let go of what has been and courageously face what will be. Because he has a future for you that's not defined by that past holding you back every day. Letting go of what is behind so that you can have what is beautiful ahead. And I think sometimes we're holding on to all sorts of the past because it's the devil that you know. You know that phrase? We hold on to the devil, we know it's, there's a certainty in what we know, isn't there? Even if I'm certain that it's going to be painful, even if I'm certain it's going to be dysfunctional, even if I'm certain, at least there's some sort of certainty, we choose the devil that we know rather than the future that God may want to give us because that seems scary because we just don't know. It's uncertain. But sometimes we also hold on to the past or even the present because it's good. This is Abraham's story, isn't it? He has a son, a son he loves, a son he cares for. He's a father. And he feels torn because he wants to choose the certainty of what he has, the certainty of this son, Ishmael, rather than the uncertainty of what God wants to do next through Isaac. I mean, don't we want that kind of certainty? It's the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And what we have now is worth way more than the potential of what God could do in the future. So I'm just going to be good. I'm going to hold on to this. And yet what we see over and over is as God leads people out of what they're comfortable with, out of a place of blessing to a place of risk, a place of surrender, a place where things are out of their control, then God takes over and does incredible things. Because it's in the uncertainty of life that we let God be God. <laughs> It's where we let him show up in ways that we can't control or make happen on our own. It's where we let him write a story that we, we can't really imagine. We'd settle for a whole lot less because we would just take comfortable. And God wants significant and meaning. Letting go is hard, though, because the unknown is scary. Even when the unknown is good things, like anybody who has ever anticipated the arrival of a child knows that it's scary. You know, it's scary good. Like it's a good thing that's going to happen, but it's terrifying. And, and so this is part of the future, right? It's not the change itself that we fear, but the change does bring fear. Leadership researchers and authors um, from Harvard Heifetz, Linsky, and Grashkow say this. They say, you know the adage, people resist change? They said it's not really true. Because people are not stupid. <laughs> people love change when they know it's a good thing. 
No one gives back a winning lottery ticket. What they say is people resist, what people resist is not change per se, but loss. When change involves real or potential loss, people hold on to what they have and resist the change. Even when the change, I say, is good. Abraham's resisting the change because of the loss involved. To move into a different future requires us to let go of something from the past. We will lose something. And that's scary because we don't want to endure loss. But this was Jesus' invitation over and over and over to anyone who would be his followers. Is hey, I want to do a new thing in your life, but the thing, you got to let go of the old way. That's what our passage from Mark was about earlier when Jesus is talking about hey, no one puts new wine in old wineskins. You put new wine in new wineskins. What he was essentially saying is, I know that, that you've been holding on to something good. Because what they were talking about is fasting, and they've been holding on to the law of God, which was given as a gift, and it's a good thing for the people. But Jesus was saying, I want to do something new, because I came to fulfill the law. And I came to lead you to a place of freedom, because I don't want to just conform your outward behavior to the law. I want to transform you from the inside out. I want to make you new. But that's going to require letting go of the old and your dependence on your outward behavior and let me in to let me transform you. To let go of the old wine and the old wineskin in favor of the new. And this is, this is what God wants to do in us. He wants us to let go, not so that we can be empty. That would be a Buddhist kind of idea, an Eastern kind of idea of letting go, which is very popular these days, is let go of emotions and attachment. Let go of, of, of your desires because that's why you have suffering. In other words, don't long for a better future. Don't long for a more just future. Don't long for more healthy relationships. Just be content. Accept the reality that things exactly as they are right now is exactly how they're supposed to be. So let go of your desire for anything different. And that's not what Jesus was saying. He's saying, don't just, it's not just about accepting what is. God wants to do something greater in you. He doesn't want you to let go just so you can be this empty thing. He wants you to let go so you can empty yourself of the old and you can be filled with something glorious and beautiful. Be filled with the reality of true forgiveness and true healing and true hope and true cleanliness and true holiness. He wants to make us new. Filled with true love and true generosity and true justice and true joy. Letting go is not just about emptying ourselves, but it's about being filled like new wine and a new wineskin. Because he wants to do something incredible and beautiful and powerful in you. See, this idea of letting go is, is, is also popular in, in other places in our culture, but it's different than what Jesus is inviting us to. Because the, it, it's, if you've heard of the, the so-called law of attraction, which is a very popular idea, this idea that you can manifest your deepest desires and longings, and a core aspect of this way of thinking is letting go. Where the idea, the way it supposedly works, is that if you get laser focused on your deepest you know, longing and desire, and you hold on to that so clear that it's defined perfectly, and then you just let it go. And you expect it to come like you expect the sun to rise when you go to bed at night. Then you, it will come back to you. You will manifest it out into the universe and it will be yours. They'd even go as far at times to say, have faith. Have faith that it will come to you. 
But faith in what? Essentially, faith in yourself. Faith that you have the ability to manifest the things that you long for most deeply. Have faith that you even know what your deepest longings and desires are. This is so different than what Jesus would say and so different than what God invites us to. We're warned very clearly in, in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? The answer is the, only the Lord can know it. I can't even know so clearly what my deepest longings and desires are, let alone have the ability within myself to somehow make that happen in my life. But that's the implication that so many people live with. That if it's not coming back to you, it's because there's something wrong with you. And the promise of Jesus is that your deepest longings and desires aren't coming back to you. It's not because of you. It's not because you can't make them happen. It's like, yeah, you can't make them happen, but it's not up to you to make them happen. Because God wants to give you what we long for most. He wants to give us that soul longing filled. But what is it? Augustine articulated something that, that's become common and repeated even at times in popular culture throughout, the, for throughout history. It's that we as humans have a God-shaped hole within us. And what that means is that we have this longing and it's the, the shape of God, it's the character of God, it's the, it's the presence of God himself that we will always be restless until we rest in him, that we receive from him what we need to fill that hole, but we'll keep trying to pile all sorts of other things into it to fill it up. We'll hold on to the past, we'll hold on to what's good because there's something in us that says, that's certain, that's how I'm gonna be okay. God's saying, no, I wanna give you myself. I want to make you new from the inside out with my very presence in your life. It's not up to you to make it happen. Jesus is the guarantee that it will happen. The son of the promise that came is the guarantee that the future for you is not up to you. It's not for you to manifest. It's not for you to create. It's for you to receive in the letting go. And letting go may be hard. And it may be scary, but is that path to the purpose and the promise and the plan that God wants to work in your life? I met a man in, in the Pittsburgh area when I was there as a pastor, and he had worked for a number of years in finance. Pittsburgh has become a real finance hub as it reinvented itself after the, you know, the decline of steel mills and coal mines. And he had been really successful in his work and was making a whole lot of money, was really active in his church, serving in a whole lot of ways. And when he was in his mid-30s and had a couple of kids, he heard very clearly God say, will you let it go? And will you go serve me as a missionary in the Dominican Republic? And he was like, God, what are you talking about? Things are so good. I'm in this place of influence and I have this ability. I can give so much money away. And he wasn't saying this to pat himself on the back. He was saying this to tell the story of how much he's wrestling with. He's blessed in these ways and, and things seem to be going right. And he's living this according to what he thinks the plan of God is for him. And God's saying, will you let it all go? Because I want to do something else in your life. And eventually as he wrestled it through, they, he quit his job. He moved his family to the Dominican Republic. He let go. And it wasn't always easy. 
Matter of fact, it was hard at times. It was hard to raise support to support his family. It was hard to be di the different, the outsiders for his kids in a culture that they weren't used to. It was hard to learn language. It was hard. And yet what he saw as God worked in his life and through his life was this profound blessing, this profound influence as he was able to serve and love people in a way that he never imagined before. God had a different future, but it required him to let go of the present, let go of the past, let go of God's blessing to even receive the greater thing that God wanted to do. Will we let go so that we can be filled, so that God can do what he wants to do in our future? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we look at our lives, we can certainly see a whole mix. We can see your blessings and we can see the messes, the pain, the shame, the tragedies. And Lord, we acknowledge that we just get conditioned and, and we do hold on to where we've been, partially because we're scared of the future, even if it's good, even though you promised that it's good. We're scared of what it'll cost. We're scared of what we got to give up. So Lord, help us to hear so clearly as you would lead us how, we, how you're calling us to let go, to let go of our comfort, our security, our schedules, whatever it is, so that we can be available, so that you can work your plan, your promise, and your purpose through us individually and us as a church. That we can move into the future that you want to give us, filled with your very presence. That we would be people that are then filled with true love, true justice, true generosity, true hope for a world that is perishing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.